but importantly, it's the totality of the entire plan that we believe will be transformative for the city of Chicago. And that transformation we expect to evaluate through the outcomes that Susie you mentioned, um, but also how is it that that um, hits our bottom line as well, whether there are improved property tax revenues, income taxes, sales taxes, or ultimately reduced expenditures through safer uh, communities, thriving communities, and an equitable economic recovery. While the city's pension systems are severely underfunded, I do think it's a positive that the city has been increasing its contributions to the pension systems and has been sticking to the funding plans that were um, passed during the Emanuel administration. Right? We haven't seen Mayor Lightfoot kind of aggressively proposing to cut the city's pension contributions or trying to kind of kick the can down the road and chain augment the funding laws. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Cloudcast. I'm Alex Nickin. I will be your host this week. Budget season is here. We are fully in the thick of it now. If you are listening to this on Monday, we are now two weeks out from when Mayor Lori Lightfoot rolled out her proposal for how she wants to fund Chicago's government in 2022, plus her long-awaited proposal for how to spend the $1.9 billion the city got from the American Rescue Plan. But when we say it's Lightfoot's plan, we're missing that it was really developed by a big team of people working under the mayor in the city's Department of Finance and Office of Budget and Management. And I got to talk to the people at the top of those teams, Chicago Chief Financial Officer Jenny Bennett, Budget Director Susie Park, and Comptroller Reshma Sony, about how they are pitching this budget, not just as a way to climb the city back out of the pandemic, but as a way to set the city's finances on a more stable long-term course. But first, I also talked to Amanda Cass. She is the Associate Director of the Government Finance Research Center at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and an all-around tried-and-true Chicago budget wonk. I'm going to play my interview with Amanda first because she helps lay out some of the historical context behind the city's current financial situation and also helps demystify some of the budget jargony terms like corporate fund, pension ramp, scoop and toss, all terms you're going to hear a lot from Jenny, Susie, and Reshma. So if you want to go straight to their interview, you can skip to about the 19-minute mark. But for now, here is my interview with Amanda Cass. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Amanda. It's great to talk to you again. Thanks for having me. So I'm sitting here now with this 650-page set of budget recommendations. It weighs a ton. It's pretty daunting, especially for anyone who doesn't follow budgets or municipal finance. I'm curious, as someone who's really well-versed in all that, what page you open to first when you get a big book like this? Or, or basically, what are the elements of a budget that you are looking for straight away to sort of give you a first indication? So I think I take a step back, actually, and try to think about the budget in terms of what the different funds are. Um, and, and normally we talk about Chicago's budget in terms of the corporate fund. So that's, I think, the first thing that I go to look to is what's going on with the corporate fund? What are, what's the revenue coming into the corporate fund? And what's the spending going out of the corporate fund? And so the corporate fund, just to clarify here, it's a little bit of a misnomer because it's a completely public fund, right? This is like the sort of central pot of money that the city draws into and allocates from and makes up, what would you say, about a quarter or a third of the city's overall budget, um, in addition to, you know, the airport funds, water and sewer funds, all these other different funds that draw directly from other sources. So looking at the corporate fund and the decisions that are made in here in context with the broader trajectory of the city, I'm curious what first jumped out to you about this budget. I would say the 2022 budget is complex. And I think that there's 
three things that are going on to kind of look at as it relates to the city's finances in 2022. There's one, what's going on with the kind of 2022 corporate fund budget. So that's the kind of area of the budget that we could look to and compare with previous fiscal years. Then there's the American Rescue Plan Act spending. So that's the $1.9 billion in somewhat flexible federal aid that's coming to the city that the city council is going to pass appropriations for. And that's kind of a separate bucket. And then the third is this $660 million kind of capital program that the city, the mayor is including in her overall recovery plan program. Um, so I think budgets can be very complex uh, in a normal year. This isn't a normal year, and we have an extra level of complexity because there's these kind of three different budgets or, or kind of big spending programs going on. Right. So when you go through each different department and look at how they're being funded or how they're funding staff positions, it is you first have to look at which positions and initiatives the corporate fund is funding and then the O'Hare fund or what have you. And then there's also the capital fund, which is one-time spending for you know construction, road building, and things like that. And then it really is made a lot more complex because we have this other three-year plan that is the Chicago Recovery Plan, which is what Mayor Lightfoot is calling her basic plan to come out of the pandemic using federal money, which is sort of layered on top of that. It's a little tough to see where one begins and the other ends sometimes, right? Yeah, it's and it's especially complex because the recovery plan money or, and the, the federal aid, it can be used for a number of different spending categories. And the mayor's proposal is to use um, a chunk of that money for kind of new initiatives. One that's gotten the big kind of headline is the basic income pilot, the direct cash assistance to families. But then another and the majority of the federal aid would be used for essential services. So plugging revenue shortfalls caused by the pandemic, uh, and then using that federal money for government services. So a chunk of the federal money would be transferred into the corporate fund and would be a revenue source for the corporate fund, which confusing, complex, hard to kind of trace the money flows in and out. Right. One of the things that we're tracking is how the mayor and her budget team are trying to kind of unwind the short-term pandemic stopgap situation that you created last year. And you're, you're describing it as this sort of Rube Goldberg-like maneuver where city budget officials are proposing to take a substantial portion of the federal ARP funds, cover city services, like you say, about $780 million for 2021 and another $385 or so million for 22, and then another 100 and, and some for 2023. Use that to sort of plug basic city services so that they can then take money to pay off a short-term loan so that they can then cancel this big debt restructure known as scoop and toss. And then at the same time, they're going to issue $660 million in new debt in what's called general obligation bonds. So looking at all of this, I guess I'm curious whether you see that as a path to longer-term stability for the city or whether that's just sort of another short-term measure to, to get through hard times. That's a really great question um, because I think the city and the mayor is trying to accomplish kind of several things. One is addressing, right, like the, the st structural deficit that's long existed 
in the city's finances. And so that's, you know, addressing getting out of having to use scoop and toss, also um, making the pension contributions and getting onto like an actuarial funding plan for the pension systems. But then at the same time, you know, there's a desire to recover. There's a desire to kind of build Chicago back better and invest in initiatives that will um, kind of be investments in the city and help kind of spur uh, economic growth, vitality, just like I said, initiatives in the city. And those new initiatives kind of would set up for like the long-term future of the city. Um, but at the same time, right, addressing the structural deficit has to also happen to address kind of the long-term of the city. Let's talk a little bit more about pensions then. You've also written about one of the reasons why the city every year has these multi-hundred million dollar deficits is because it keeps having to contribute more and more and more to its four pension funds. This year, that number is more than two and a quarter billion dollars that it is putting into its pension funds, which is a really substantial chunk of its overall budget. So I know this is a super complex topic, but if you can, I'm hoping you can just give us a brief walkthrough of why the city's pension funds are so underfunded and what the city is trying to do to fix that, including in this budget. Yeah, I think people often hear the dollar amount that's going to the pension contributions and hear how much the contribution is increasing from the previous year. And and then they're just like, oh my gosh, that's so much. And that's the end of the story. But I think there's a lot of history to understand about the pension systems that provides really important context to understand these big numbers. So the city's four pension funds that, that it's in charge of are severely underfunded. Um, underfunding is a problem because in a worst case scenario, a pension fund runs out of money and benefits to retirees gets halted. That's a nightmare scenario that we want to avoid. So to avoid that scenario, the city needs to uh, contribute enough money to improve the finances of the pension systems. Historically, the city's contributions to its pension systems were totally insufficient to do that. And projections indicated that absent any change in the city's funding plan, the pension systems were going to become insolvent. So to address that under the previous administration, under the Emanuel administration, his administration lobbied for and had Springfield pass changes to the city's funding plans. Because while the pension funds are the city's responsibility, they're governed by state laws. And so to change the city's contributions to the pension systems requires a change in state law. So rather than um, just starting to properly fund the pension systems right away, under Emanuel, they built in these five-year ramp periods. The reason there's a jump in the contribution between 2021 and 2022 is this is the last year of those five-year ramp. And so starting in budget year 2023, the city's contributions to all four of the pension systems will be based on actuarial calculations, meaning 2023 will actually be on the path to hopefully see improvement in the pension system's funding levels over time. So what is the target for the ultimate end goal here? You said it's to get to almost 100% solvency by 2055, or it's different for each fund? It's it's different for the, for the four different funds. So for police and fire, the goal is 90% by 2055. For labor and the municipal fund, it's 90% by 2058. The 90% target is the same for all four, but 
achieving that is just different timeframes. So then by 2058, the city is going to have great credit. We're going to be in solid financial shape and no more cratering economic problems. Sure. I like your optimism. <laughs> I will. I, I do think, you know, one, while the city's pension systems are severely underfunded, I do think it's a positive that the city has been increasing its contributions to the pension systems and has been sticking to the funding plans that were um, passed during the Emanuel administration, right? We haven't seen Mayor Lightfoot kind of aggressively proposing to cut the city's pension contributions or trying to kind of kick the can down the road and chain augment the funding laws. I want to back up a little bit, and as long as we're talking about historical issues that we can maybe blame for some of the city's financial problems right now, let's just walk through the term scoop and toss. It is thrown around a lot in terms of municipal finances. Just explain what that is and essentially how the city is helping itself potentially by canceling the scoop and toss that they had planned to do last year. Scoop and toss, it's very, these things can be very complex. I think the simplest explanation is you have debt and rather than kind of paying the debt off under the current schedule, you kick out the debt. Um, in a budget year, let's say you you need to pay $100 for your debt service and you have a deficit in your budget. And rather than paying that $100 in this year's budget, you uh, extend out your the debt obligation into future years. So that frees up $100 in this year's budget. Right. So you create um, you kind of create flexibility or you create a cushion in this year's budget, but you're going to pay more in the long run. So scoop and toss is really about kind of a, a short term benefit that costs more in the long term. To go over the history of it a little bit, scoop and toss is something that was a somewhat of a common practice, or at least we saw a few times under the Richard M. Daly administration. Right. And then Mayor Emanuel came in and said that he was going to put an end to that policy. and and Mayor Lightfoot said that she also would not use scoop and toss until the pandemic hit and it was just done as a sort of last resort. Is that a fair way to describe it? Yeah, I think, you know, if we, we should think about scoop and toss, it is a financing tool or mechanism that's been utilized to deal with the city's structural deficit, right? And so I think under the daily administration, what we saw is, um, a desire to kind of like build, do programs in the city uh, while not raising taxes incredibly high to pay for those programs. And, you know, a way to finance your initiatives without raising taxes is to short your pension systems or do um, take out debt. And, and then you get into the cycle of, of doing scoop and toss. So then, you know, we have an Emmanuel come in and having to deal with the kind of fiscal problems, challenges created during the daily administration and exacerbated by, let's not forget the 2008 financial crisis. Emmanuel comes in, wants to address that, right? But the, it's not an easy problem to get out of the, the structural deficit. So we see some, under Emmanuel, we see some effort to dig out of this structural deficit, trying to end scoop and toss. And so in that way, I think Light, Mayor Lightfoot is, is trying to continue on with that of tackling the city's structural challenges and ending scoop and toss. And the unique challenge for Lightfoot is the COVID-19 pandemic that hit. Just real quick on the subject of tax increases, there is a little bit of a 
debate in terms uh, over the tax increase that is proposed by the mayor. It's overall a $77 million levy increase, about 20 million of that is just to incorporate the cost of, or I think actually $28 million of that is to round up property taxes from new development. And some 20 million is from the property tax increase tied to hikes in the consumer price index, which is a permanent policy that the mayor put in last year. The mayor has proposed that as a way to build more stability into the system. Of course, a lot of businesses and owners of larger expensive properties disagree and say that that's just jacking up our property taxes for no discernible reason. Do you buy the, the mayor's argument there? I think it's a really prudent move to have the levy increase from year to year by inflation. I think one of the reasons that the city, um, its structural deficit materialized is that there was a disconnect between how the cost of spending increases from year to year versus the taxes and a desire, a political desire to keep taxes, especially the property tax, low. And so, you know, unfortunately, we have the city has had a very long history of kind of keeping its property taxes flat, even though costs of services increase um, by inflation. If we put aside initiatives that we might want to invest in, um, just maintaining the status quo, spending is going to increase by inflation. So I think it's an extremely prudent move to tie it to inflation. This is a very comprehensive, very big and detailed budget, um, but I'm curious if there are any questions that you are still left with after looking through it. What are the mysteries that are left open here that you are going to try and keep an eye on over the next you know months and years? I think for me, the big thing I'm trying to figure out and tease apart is what is the Chicago recovery plan spending versus what is the city's operating budget? The mayor chose to kind of do the recovery plan appropriations simultaneously with the 2022 budget. And so these things are kind of muddied together in the process. Um, and it's hard to kind of tease them apart. The recovery plan spending is multi-year spending. It's one time, it's kind of one-time revenue source, but spending that will occur over several years versus the kind of ongoing operations. So I think that's, uh, that's not a very clear answer. And my kind of non-clear answer is a reflection of the complexity of how this budget process is kind of occurring and how the mayor is kind of putting forth this multi-billion dollar, multi-year rescue plan simultaneously with the 2022 budget. Definitely something that we're going to have to keep an eye on and try to understand the difference between those two plans. Amanda Cass is the Associate Director of the Government Finance Research Center at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Thank you so much for coming on the Cloudcast. This has been really great. Thanks for having me. You know, Amanda posed a really good question there about the difference between the budget and the recovery plan. And I was actually able to pose that question directly to budget director Susie Park. I also asked Jenny Bennett to talk about what climbing that pension ramp is going to mean for future budgets. And Rish Masoni was able to peel back the city's philosophy behind all of the parking tickets and city sticker fees that we all get stuck with every year. So here is my interview with them. Susie, I want to start with you by talking about how your team is proposing to close the $733 million budget gap identified in the forecast. Um, budget office is saying that's in big part through almost $300 million in, quote, savings and efficiencies. So 
I'm wondering if you could just sort of break down the process of how the budget office looks for those savings and sort of what it found this year. Is it like looking under the couch cushions and all the departments or how, how does that work? So thank you for that question. So yes, um, so every year as part of the budget process, we go through, you know, we work closely with all of our departments um, and we really work through different areas of the budget to see if there are savings and efficiencies that we can gain um, each year. So for this year, um, you know, to what you just said, it is about $300 million of savings and efficiencies. And again, you know, this is closing from the gap. So you know, our budget forecast comes out where we say, here's the gap that we're working to close as we try to balance the budget for the next year. Um, and so uh, 46.2 million of that is from personnel savings. Again, that is something where um, early on as we were working on the forecast, we um, had a estimated cost for what the FOP contract would cost us in 2022. Um, as we work through the budget and actually put, you know, numbers into the system, um, you know, and work through the full police budget, there were savings. Um, from that initial estimate. So, so, so that is um, a portion of that 46.2 million. Um, and then there are other savings, you know, working across funds, um, working with the departments around personnel. Um, the next one is about 21.6 million of healthcare savings, and that's working with our good controller, um, Reshma, who, you know, did a lot of work um, trying to get better uh, rates um, and reimbursement from hospitals and um, some of our um, updated collective bargaining agreements also had savings in there. So we um, found some savings that way. Um, the other one is improved fiscal management. So there are, um, and that's about 131.4 million. So that's again, just trying to do um, you know, better services, better ways. We looked at fund balances. Um, we work with Jenny um, on you know, gaining some savings from some refunding. Um, we do fund sweeps every year where we go through aging accounts um, and found some savings that way. So you know, a lot of those savings come from there. And then the last book is really cost recovery. Um, some of that is working with uh, CPS on um, additional funds for their portion of our pension, um, as well as working with other sister agencies on getting better um, reimbursement. So those kind of make up the big buckets around our savings and efficiencies. Reshma, on that note, you know, you spent some time during last Friday's budget hearing talking about fines and fees reforms, you know, basically ways to be more lenient with people paying parking tickets, water bills, building inspection fees, stuff like that. How does the Department of Finance make all of that happen, especially this year, without just blowing an even bigger hole in that budget deficit? So, you know, one thing that we've seen and the, the, the reforms that we're offering, first of all, is this is our second tranche of uh, fines and fees reforms. The first tranche we did back in fall of 2019, um, when the mayor had come in, there was a task force that we were working with. We were working with the Fines and Fees Collaborative. Um, and the national cohort to look at uh, ways um, to remove some of the regressiveness of fines and fees. And one thing that we're looking here at the second tranche is we're offering forgiveness, but it's forgiveness on old debt. So it's debt that if people can't afford to pay, they're not paying. And for those who need help, for those who meet the threshold of income, what this basically is doing is saying, Look at the last three years of debt. We'll waive off any penalties and interest and put you on a payment plan that is affordable for you. Well, what we're seeing here is uh, on average, that's about $17 a month. And we hope that that makes it affordable. So we'll actually see revenues coming in um, and we'll see people coming into compliance. And what that will do is after one year of them being in compliance and making those payments, it waves off the old debt that we have. So that debt was probably uncollectible anyways. So for the most part, we're looking at this being revenue neutral for us. Are you projecting more 
fines and fees revenues in 2022 than this year? Is that something, you know, I, I guess I wonder, is that something you want to see going up or is that something that you want to be going down? You know, fi- fines and fees overall of our overall city budget is less than 2%. So, you know, that's not our focus. The idea of fines and fees are more of safety. And, you know, even when we're working with uh, the aldermen and working in certain areas, we're using it more as a safety measure. Over the last two years, we've done more of community enforcement. And, and what that means is, you know, on streets, let's say, when you have RPP zones, right, residential permit parking, and people who are not supposed to be parking there are parking where, you know, we're going out and ticketing those people, or like areas where there's tow zones and uh, people are coming out over there and parking. We're parking those areas. I mean, that's more safety related. Even in our activities, like such as booting and all, what we've seen is, you know, less than a third of the cars are really from the ward. It's really outside the ward or outside Chicago. And uh, this is one way that we can help to create more safety by deterring people who shouldn't be in that area um, to sort of, you know, not be there. I should say that to the guy giving me the ticket the next time. I'm not the one you're after. Uh, (laughs) So turning to Jenny now, the budget that the mayor has proposed calls to, correct me if I'm wrong on this, pay off a short-term loan that the city took out from J.P. Morgan Chase last year so that the city can cancel its scoop-and-toss debt restructuring. At the same time, the Chicago Recovery Plan is calling to issue $660 million in new debt in general obligation bonds, right? So the uninitiated could look at that and say, you're just sort of swapping debt for debt. What makes the new debt, the general obligation bonds, better? Sure. So there's a difference between good debt and bad debt. And importantly, the scoop and toss ends up being for, you know, like if you think about your own personal finances, ends up being taking out a mortgage to pay for your groceries, which people just don't do. Um, When we talk about the funding source for a component of the Chicago recovery plan, that's more like taking out a mortgage to buy a house. And ultimately you gain an asset um, in that type of a financing. And here with the Chicago recovery plan, we are building assets within the city of Chicago. Um, importantly, there's also uh, more technical differences. The scoop and toss would largely be taxable, which is a much higher interest rate than a tax exempt financing. So the city saves as it relates to interest costs. And importantly, the city has struggled with its um, ability to cancel scoop and toss financings, which increase debt load going forward. Um, with the financing that we're contemplating here, we um, expect that because of the fact that we're climbing our scoop and toss ramp, no longer engaging in that fairly uh, negative and costly practice of scooping debt and throwing it out long, um, being able to amortize a couple hundred million dollars of debt a year. And so we're climbing the mountain of debt. We're starting to reduce our overall debt burden, and that's allowing us to be able to be able to invest in the city of Chicago in a major way. Yeah. Can you break down a little bit more of this concept of climbing the scoop and toss ramp? You've said that it will lead to is reducing the city's overall debt burden by $1.8 billion. By 2025? So this is just all debt the city owes overall to everyone? I mean, can you just walk through how that happens? Sure. So in in short, what it is, is is that we are now uh, incorporating within our budget the uh, full load of debt service that is the city of Chicago's uh, debt burden. And so what the city had been doing in years past is, in essence, rolling their debt on the credit card and continuing to build up this mountain of debt. We have now climbed that mountain. So we're paying our annual payments. We have it within our budget. Um, And importantly, because of that, we're now paying down the total credit card, so to speak, or, you know, more specifically, our total debt outstanding. 
Um, because of that, and because we are paying down our debt, then ultimately when you start paying down your debt, your total debt liability goes down. Um, and that's what the city is now doing with this 2022 budget. And real quick on that, a common line of rhetoric that I think that we hear from some progressive organizing groups and aldermen is to characterize paying back the city's debt, especially this sort of shorter term debt, as a giveaway to Wall Street banks. I'm wondering if you just want to take a second to address that, that idea. Well, importantly, if you uh, propose and advocate for a scoop and toss, that effectively is giving money to Wall Street because you're now paying more interest costs to bondholders. Um, what we do when we pay back our debts, when we keep our credit in a good uh, standing, is we lower our interest costs and we redu reduce those payments to Wall Street. Um, it's uh, in a lot of ways like making sure that you have good credit so that you get a good interest rate so that then you can free up the funds that you would have otherwise paid to a bank to then use for investments. And that's ultimately what the goal of the city is, is to try to reduce the amount of uh, uh, total uh, interest that we're paying to be able to then still borrow to fund capital projects. And that's what this debt ultimately funded um, in the first place was to fund improvements to streets, to roads, to bridges, um, and, and other uh, capital assets of the city so that we can, like I said earlier, and continue to invest in the city of Chicago. So switching gears a little bit, Susie, I know that you got some questions about this from Alderman during the, what was it, seven hours that you guys spent answering questions last Friday. But I'd like you to talk a little bit more about how your office is thinking about making sure that new programming that's made possible by American Rescue Plan funding doesn't just fall off a cliff when the money runs out. You said during the hearing that most of the spending initiatives backed by ARP are, are one time in nature. Um, I was looking through the plan and, you know, things like vacant lot rehabilitation or expanding in-home healthcare services. I mean, those sound like recurring initiatives, right? So what's the plan to make sure that they just don't disappear in 2024? Yes, we spent a lot of time um, as we were putting these projects together, looking at that exactly. Um, we absolutely know ARP is one time. Um, and, you know, I know we've talked a lot about, you know, not creating this fiscal cliff. So, you know, a lot of these projects have evaluations and outcomes. Um, that we're trying to achieve. And I think as we go through, you know, these are three to five year projects. And I think, you know, a lot of them are one time, as you mentioned, some are, you know, may need to continue. We're going to look at the outcome. Have we met what we were trying to do? Um, you know, is this something that does need to extend? And if so, you know, what is that transition plan? You know, we don't expect like come 2025, you know, all of a sudden it's just, you know, from 100 to zero. So, you know, as we're working through this over the next three to five years, I think, and we evaluate each of these projects um, that are somewhat longer in nature, then we're going to look at that and see, you know, if we do continue that, what is that right transition plan? Um, you know, does it kind of, you know, do we start kind of balancing between ARP and moving a little bit off onto corporate as we, you know, know that the end is coming? So I think there is a lot of that work. Um, that we're contemplating now as we're putting all these projects together. So we, we do know that. So it's a matter of kind of testing the waters as they roll out. And then if the city wants to continue them, finding sources of revenue to keep them going or finding ways to bake them into the budget long term? I think there is um, each of these have you know outcomes that we are trying to achieve um, with these projects. And I think it's a matter of looking at did we achieve them? Um, does this put us off better in the long run? You know, if it does continue, is it something the city should do? Is it something the community will do? Um, you know, in terms of vacant lots, if we 
put a lot of um, the money now to clean them up, um, get them set up? You know, is this something that the community then will build on top of? Um, so these are, you know, each project has different aspects that we're going to look at uh, to see, you know, what that next step is. You know, as the project is finished, um, the initial outcome that we are hoping to achieve is achieved. And then what is that right next step? I think we will look at that for each one. Just to add to uh, Susie's comments about that, I, you know, as a part of the uh, process of planning for the Chicago recovery plan, um, we did um, do extensive research around the economic impacts of a lot of these projects. But importantly, it's the totality of the entire plan that we believe will be transformative for the city of Chicago. And that transformation, we expect to evaluate through the outcomes that Susie mentioned, um, but also how is it that that um, hits our bottom line as well, whether there are improved property tax revenues, income taxes, sales taxes, or ultimately reduced expenditures through safer uh, communities, thriving communities, and an equitable economic recovery. And so um, it's the totality of the plan, which we believe will have a catalytic change for Chicago, which um, ultimately will be measured and be able to help support any of the investments that do continue on. So I want to step back a little bit to talk about the Chicago recovery plan. I, I think this is a question for Susie, but the recovery plan came out as the same at the same time as the budget proposal, but they're not exactly the same thing, right? The recovery plan charts out about $2.5 billion in spending that's supposed to be spaced out over a number of years. Is it three years? Um, so the recovery plan is essentially funded from two sources. One is ARP. Um, that date, um, I believe the funds need to be obligated by 2024, but then we have till 2026 to actually spend those funds down. And then the other half of that funding source is also from the bond, um, which doesn't have an end date, but it is, you know, all these projects are meant to be um, either, you know, about three to five years in length. Um, so it did come out together. Um, there are different parts of the appropriation, um, which is what we're working through right now. You know, I noticed that there are a number of programs that are listed in the recovery plan, things like direct cash payments, lead abatement, you know, a lot of about $75 million in new funding for affordable housing that I just couldn't find those things expressed in the 2022 budget proposal. I guess, you know, when and how should we expect all these new programs to start manifesting in terms of full-time employee counts or, or real line items in the annual budget? So um, there are two components of this year's appropriation. So as you may know, we are amending 2021. Um, and so the ARP portion of that recovery plan is being proposed as a 2021 budget amendment. So, so, so you know, that is so that we can get these started now, that we can start building and, you know, putting contracts together and getting, get, and getting these funds out this year. Um, so that is one component, which I know when, I, when we were at council, we wanted to make sure that members of council also knew that the full ARP appropriation is in the 2021 budget amendment. Um, that is then carried over into, 20, into the 2022 budget. Um, this, you know, federally and how we have treated it is a grant program. Um, so you're not going to see a specific line item in the department budget per se. It will be in the fund 925. Um, and so, you know, we created a separate ARP supplemental with kind of that detail on the ARP portion of it. Fund 925 is a term for basically adding additional funding into um, the budget. So fund 925 in the budget appropriation are where all the city's grants are listed. So the ARP program, um, and this one is specifically the local fiscal recovery fund, is treated as a grant um, per federal regulations. And so, you know, those lines can be found. Um, within the department within the fund 925 but because we know that there's a lot in there um, that is why we also released a separate arp supplemental 
um, that kind of breaks down, you know, each of the projects on the ARP and then, you know, which departments that those are going to be um, appropriated under. So Jenny, let's jump back into that conversation about where this budget fits into the city's longer term financial picture. And one of the reasons, you know, the city every year keeps having these big deficits that it has to fill is because its pension contributions just keep going up and up and up, including a really huge step this year. That number is only going to go up from here, right, as it gets onto an actuarial annual schedule. So my question is, how is the Department of Finance going to make sure that the city has enough revenue baked in to account for that increase every single year in pension contributions? Um, one thing I would clarify is the fact that the increase this year is in large part because we are climbing our pension ramp. Um, for the first time in the city's history, we are now going to be paying an actually determined contribution for all four of our pension funds. Effectively, what that means is that outside independent experts make a determination about what is necessary to contribute to the fund to ensure its long-term sustainability. That's what an actual actuarially determined contribution is, and we are now making that. Um, as it relates to the increases going forward, the increases will moderate and will be really a part of a, a predetermined schedule. Um, those you know, uh, contributions may change depending on how the market performs, et cetera. But by and large, we have now, similar to with the debt service ramp, climbed that pension ramp so that those moderate increases can be absorbed within um, future budgets. As opposed to what the city has been facing over the last decade or so is really significant increases because of the historic underfunding. Um, we have included those uh, incre projected increases within the out-year planning and as a part of the overall planning for all of the various revenue increases, expense increases within the budget, um, have planned for a way to be able to cover for those fairly moderate increases. You use the word moderating, so essentially the ramp kind of looks like a, a cliff right now. It's going up very sharply in pension contributions, and then it's going to become a sort of shallow hill. Do you expect that to make the budgeting process easier in the coming years? Yes, absolutely. I mean, when you're talking about trying to incorporate hundreds of millions of dollars in one year versus a more moderate increase, it will make uh, the budgeting much easier on pensions. And last thing sort of related to that, you were talking before about the Chicago Works five-year capital infrastructure plan. This was funded by a $3.5 billion or $3.7 billion bond issued last year. I remember when that came out, the, the Civic Federation and some others raised questions, I guess, about how the city is going to pay off or afford to pay off all that debt. I think we got part of the answer with this budget proposal that includes about a $25 million um, increase in the property tax levy as part of a larger increase that would specifically send money toward that capital plan. Should Chicagoans expect to keep paying more in property taxes to fund the infrastructure plan, or where is that money going to come from long term? As it relates to the Chicago Works plan, just to clarify, it was a $3.7 billion um, five-year plan, but we, we authorized $1.4 billion in bond issuance. Um, that funds, in essence, the first two years of that plan. And um, you know, as, as it relates to the uh, uh, Civic Federation's comments around a funding source, a funding source was identified last year to pay for those bonds. It was the $25 billion property tax um, to support bonds. Uh, as it relates to the capital plan going forward, that's a part of the broader planning that we intend to do as we start making our way through the projects that are already in place. Um, we haven't yet issued the $1.4 billion um, to fund those capital projects and um, you know, we'll in intend to do so as they start to roll out. 
Uh, importantly, there's also legislation um, being considered at the federal level around an infrastructure bill, which might provide for some additional monies. And very importantly, as we um, are climbing this uh, debt ramp that we talked about earlier, um, that'll also create additional capacity for us to be able to fund um, additional projects as contemplated within the Chicago Recovery Plan. So I, the, the, the short answer is, is that we um, are going to take a look at all of our funding sources and see how it is that we can um, layer in external funding sources before it is that we um, would need to go back to, um, you know, uh, to fund uh, 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 the bonds with, you know, say, for example, a property tax and, um, you know, see whether there's a way to be able to, you know, find uh, other ways to be able to pay for this investment plan. So property taxes is kind of a last resort for that? It's a last resort, but also importantly, we know that we have a number of uh, sources available to us to be able to help support the uh, investments here. So Reshma, I want to bring you back in so that we can talk about municipal depositories, the money where the city keeps its $9 billion, give or take, in assets. This isn't something that's you know strictly part of the budget. It's certainly come up in a lot of budget hearings that aldermen want to you know be cracking down on banks with discriminatory lending patterns that we, we learned about from uh, WBEZ and, and City Bureau last summer. I know that the city's municipal depository task force met for the first time last week. Can you tell me a little bit about what those efforts are all about and, and what the end goal is there? Sure. So this is actually something that we've been working on for a while, meaning the treasurer's office and uh, my office. And the treasurer has been very strong about uh, ensuring that we are able to provide equity throughout the city in terms of uh, providing access to banks, banking um, options, you know, financial wellness, let's say overall. Our meeting last week actually was the official start, but the conversations have started way before that. Um, our office, Department of Finance and the Treasurer's Office have been working with the banks, with the, the IBA, the Illinois Banking Association, to ensure that banks um, know of the fact that when we're looking at municipal depositories for the city, we're not just looking at you know, the benefit that the city can get from investing, um, but really what are they providing back um, to the city residents and businesses. Um, we've, uh, we just are about to issue an RFP that should be going out. Um, a request for proposals? Yes, yes, a request for proposal, which is our annual request for the banks. But we're looking at the data um, a little bit differently than before and making it more holistic, um, where the banks um, basically are doing a lot of this through the uh, Home Mortgage Disclosure Act, where they actually have to um, disclose to the government uh, what kind of loans they're giving, what interest are they giving, why are they denying certain loans, things like that. And that information will help us to ensure that the banks are being um, equitable when they're looking at lending practices throughout the city. Uh, we've gotten a lot of good feedback from the banks directly, and a lot of the banks that we work with and don't work with actually have reached out to us saying we want to be able to provide our financial wellness plans not only to the um, the city residents but city businesses as well, and they are asking us for help to get the message out. So I think this um, momentum is good. We already see traction from the banks. We saw in a report from Inspector General Joe Ferguson's office a couple weeks ago basically saying that the banks, by law, have to disclose a lot of their lending information according to the law, like you're saying, but the, the city, in particular the Department of Finance, just hasn't been exercising its ability to really make sure that banks are, are engaging in best practices. What is the plan to 
bake those assurances into the next round of RFPs that go out? So I, I would say, you know, going back to that, the Department of Finance works with all the banks, um, you know, directly with this municipal RFP process that we do, municipal depository RFP process. We do view, uh, when we get that information, we do review to see that the bank is not in, um, in any kind of predatory lending practice, that they are offering loans throughout the city, um, that their rate, you know, rates are not high, things like that. We do check that. What we have to be careful of is we can't regulate banks. Um, and this is something that has come up before. It has a, some legal connotation that we've seen um, in New York and other places. So working with the banks to be able to ensure best practices are being met and uh, regulating banks is a fine line. And what we've done now with this change in the municipal depository um, RFP, which is stemming from the ordinance that was just passed, the Lending Equity Ordinance, is that we're taking the information that they're already providing um, to the federal government, asking them to provide that information to us uh, for the city of Chicago uh, specifically so we can review that data. It makes it easier for the banks because the banks are already providing that information and it uh, is uh, consistent for us then when we're reviewing across the board to see what best practices are being presented. That information will be shared with city council um, and uh, while we're going through the RFP process, and then when we present the list to city council, they will also have the underlying information. Um, that information will be available on a data portal as well. Rish Matoni is Chicago's comptroller. Susie Park is the city's budget director. And Jenny Bennett is chief financial officer. Thank you all so much for taking the time today. I, I learned a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to all of our guests today. The City Council is pushing forward this week with another full schedule of departmental budget hearings, and you can follow and subscribe to The Daily Line to make sure that you do not miss any of them. And if you have thoughts about this budget, you will have the opportunity to share them with the entire City Council. On Thursday, October 14th at 10 a.m., the Council is going to hold a public hearing to solicit input on this $16.7 billion spending plan. It will all lead up to a final vote on the budget, now scheduled for Wednesday, October 27th. As always, we will be watching. This episode of The Cloudcast was produced and edited by me, Alex Mitkin. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks.